Hello and welcome to Love You Live, brought to you by Love Supreme Festival, a podcast which celebrates the power of live music. In this podcast, we'll be talking to extraordinary artists, not only about their life and career, but the key concerts in their life, the shows that helped shape them. We'll also be speaking to fans of our guests too, to find out the live performances they most cherish. Unlike a record, concerts only really exist in our memory, but they can be life-changing. The catalyst for a career or a creative epiphany, a memory or a symbol of a certain time in one's life, or just an unforgettable show that leaves a permanent imprint. I'm your host, Ciro Romano, founder of Love Supreme, and every week I take my guests back in time and ask them to choose the gigs they would like to relive again and why. In a short period of time, Tom Mish has achieved what many artists spend years pursuing, a distinctive vocal and musical sound. As soon as one of his songs appears on a playlist or the radio, you know it's him. I know that I need you now The key that I won't forget that you're lost in Paris His influences span jazz, soul, R&B, hip-hop and disco, but the resulting blend is uniquely his own. Having studied jazz guitar at college, Mish started uploading his beats and music to the music platform SoundCloud in the early 2010s, slowly developing a large and dedicated audience. It was in SoundCloud that he originally forged his numerous musical connections, including future collaborator Loyal Carnage. I'm still trying to write a story because I see it. The trouble is when I say it, they don't believe it. Unlike many young artists, Mish's SoundCloud profile meant that by the time he played his first show, he was already popular enough to sell out sizable venues, including two nights at London's Brixton Academy, playing to over 10,000 adoring fans. Still only 25, Mish comes across as naturally modest and something of a reluctant star. He said, I don't really want to get much bigger. I'm quite happy where I'm sitting. I don't like how my life has changed in some ways. It doesn't really suit my personality. I started off by asking Tom about being one of the first young musicians to break through on the SoundCloud platform and eschewing the more traditional means of developing an audience. One of the really interesting things in the music business is how you gain an audience. and. I guess traditionally, you know, you'd play small gigs, release singles, or put stuff online, a combination of different things. But your experience was really different, I think. And you used SoundCloud as a primary platform. And then your first gig was actually in Bussy Building, which was a pretty big show. So I'm really interested in your your take on that journey, because... I guess it was, I'm not saying it was the first, you're the first artist to have just stuck something online and then played a big show, but I think you were near the beginning of that process. Yeah. I mean, I I, I guess I started um, being like a, a producer, foremost a producer. So I was just making beats. I was um, I was doing everything in my bedroom. I was, I was in sixth form at school and I was just like, I was studying music technology and I really got into producing and... Um, and I was yeah just putting stuff on up on SoundCloud pretty much every day. So I'd make a beat after school, put it up on SoundCloud, and and I sort of slowly built up a a following. And there were like moments where 
there's sort of like big jumps. So like I, I got featured on Majestic Casual, this YouTube channel, and I yep. remember that was a big moment. It was a track I did with my sister called Follow, and um, and there were just like little moments that kind of I could see uh, my following growing, and um, and then it, yeah, I mean I, I started DJing. That was actually my first kind of experience of being in front of people was DJing and um, because I didn't have a band at that point and I was like the music I was making kind of worked with DJing and stuff like that and then and then um, yeah just just I needed to start playing shows and and uh, I got a band together and and uh, we put up the tickets for Bossy Building and it sold out and it was it was just very surreal going kind of straight into that with no build-up because I mean, I guess that's why I'm getting at it. it was I, I think it was still quite unusual because when you're building your followers, they still don't really know who you are, do they? They haven't you haven't developed a personality mm. as an artist or a, an identity. Exactly. They just know the yeah. tunes. So it's really, I think, pretty impressive to build up that kind of following. Because I, I, did you have lots of photographs? I mean, I don't know. Did you have Facebook and Instagram and photographs? Mm. Were you putting things out on those platforms? Yeah, yeah, I was. I, I was using social yeah. media, so I was. I was on Instagram doing these guitar videos and and stuff like that, and and I was building building a fan base, but I just wasn't playing any shows. Yeah. So it was kind of like a the opposite of like the old school way of building a fan base, where you tour an album and people get to see mm-hmm. you. And, um, but I was probably one of, one of the first people to do that sort of online thing and, and build a. You know, I, I sort of came up at the right time with SoundCloud and things like that. So, yeah. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people putting stuff on SoundCloud. And it might be a difficult question for you to answer, but why do you think you and a handful of other people are, are managed to navigate that platform, that incredibly busy platform, and come through the mm. end? Do you, do you have a kind of theory on that, about why that was? Um, I think I kind of uh, noticed that it's good to be consistent when you're trying to build an online fan base, whatever platform you're on, you know, being consistent. And, and, um, and I found it very addictive because I loved making music, but suddenly real people were saying they love it too. And I was kind of addicted to that whole thing. And I think I just, I just literally just built it by, um, by making stuff, putting out content, putting out music and, and not thinking about it. It was, it was, really liberating creatively because every day I was just making music and I I didn't have a manager I didn't have anyone saying you have to do this and that I just just put it up online had instant feedback so maybe um I don't know I really went for it right okay SoundCloud I think (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean I I guess that's what I'm getting at is that you went for it I mean there was I'm not saying there was a uh some great master plan about I'm going to be playing two bricks and academies by 2018 but in terms of the drive, there that that existed there. In terms of the addiction to it, exactly. And I'm I'm not um I never dreamed of playing shows or doing anything that I've that I've done really. It was more it suited me well because I was kind of a shy bedroom producer and and I could get my work out this way and 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 get my name out. Um, so it all started from SoundCloud. And you may I guess you met a lot of artists through that, and many people that you ended up collaborating with. Um, yeah. you met through SoundCloud. Like Loy- I think Loyal Carner, exactly. right? It was that. Can you talk about? I met him through SoundCloud. through SoundCloud. So how does that how does that work? Explain to us how it works that you meet mm. people through SoundCloud and then you end up collaborating. Yeah, it was it was like a little community. I remember 
you get to know people's um like you never met these people but you get to know their their names all, all popping up on the comments and stuff like that and um and there were people that i found i was i was a big fan of and like you could just message them you know similar to how you can on on any platform really but um yeah i, I just hit up low khan i thought he was mm. amazing and then we got in the studio he he kind of he uh he lives quite near to me so it, it made sense at same age um yeah, man. So you feel the connection through the music, through each other's music and what each other are doing, that that's the main driver? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and it's, it, it was just all about collaborating. You know, like people always sending messages saying, let's, let's like work on a beat together, let's just send stuff back and forth. And it was, it was um, I don't know if it was the start of, of people sending tracks back and forth through the internet. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago, but, but it was... It, that wasn't a thing, yes. I guess, like, you know, yeah, because 15 years ago. Exactly. Mm. One of the questions we always ask before the show is what your favourite show that you've performed has been. And you gave us the choice of two. One being a headline show in Seoul in South Korea and one being Love Supreme Festival 2018. So after a lot of deliberation in the office... We've chosen, we've chosen Love Supreme to talk about. Have you? Yes. Oh, that's a surprise. It was a real tough one. It was a real tough one. So uh, tell, tell us about that, that weekend, it was 2018, and about your performance and also about the experience yeah. of watching the other, the other um, artists. I just remember it being one of the best summers I've ever had. I, I loved summer 2018, so it was kind of, kind of a bit biased already because that was such a good summer. But um, it was one of the first like jazz festivals I've played, I guess. And um, and I remember just being amazed at the reception to the musicality, and I I just loved how uh, the crowds would would just be going crazy over the licks and stuff like that, and the kind of musical stuff that you might not get from another festival. And that was that was I think that was partly why it's so special, um, knowing that you're kind of among, amongst. Uh, not musos, but people, you know, if generally if you go to a jazz festival, then you, you invest time into loving music, I guess. Not the, not It's not the same with other festivals, but there's something special about a, a jazz a jazz festival, I think, um, with the appreciation. So that was part of it. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. They're not so much musos, but they've got a, a more of a musical. They're there for the music as much as they are for the experience, whereas maybe a lot of other festivals, the music's kind of not secondary so much, but it's just not the key thing that's driving them. And it's funny because I heard lots of stories about people just saying, oh, I saw Tom Mish watching X, I saw Tom Mish watching Y. So you'd obviously been going around watching oh, really? stuff. Yes. That's funny. Afterwards on social media. Well, it's great. It's very yeah. um, flattering that that was one of your, one of your favourite shows. Everybody get down, everybody get down, everybody get down, get down. Everybody get down, everybody get down, everybody Going back to that first show at the Bussy Building, so you had never really mm. performed live. How did you, I mean, how did you get it together for that show? Because I guess that, that must have been something mm. that was on your mind, thinking, well, how am I going to translate yeah. what I've done online to a live show? Yeah, it was um, it was a scary process because I'd done, I'd, I'd, before that, I'd been doing everything in my bedroom. You know, I'm the boss of everything sonically and, and entering the live world is a lot. You kind of have to just accept that you don't know how it's going to sound in that venue. 
you know, there's a lot of unpredictabilities that you just mm. have to get used to. Mm. Um, so I guess it was it was like learning to let go quite a lot. And I think it's affected the way I make records as well, because I'm less of a I'm less obsessive with like having everything how I want it to be in a weird way. And I think, yeah, there's just a lot of uh, you, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so it was uh, yeah, I mean, I just got I got some musicians together. And we started playing and um, I think we might have done, I think we did like two weeks rehearsals for that show. That's a lot. Because <laughs> um, I'd never done a live show yeah. and that is quite a lot yeah. to go in for 14 days and just like, because I just wanted to be comfortable, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it didn't feel like a natural thing for me to do to get in front of people and perform. Well, I, yeah, I guess because you hadn't gone through that, what you were talking about earlier, that usual process of the build up yeah, yeah. playing to 20 people on the dog and duck and for nobody caring yeah. you know you didn't go through that, yeah. that that process what's really interesting about your live career is how quickly it escalated you know you go from Bussey Somerset House yeah. sorry in London obviously outside UK as well but Bussey Somerset yeah. House Roundhouse and then two Brixton Academies by 2018 yeah. which is that's 10,000 yeah. people over 10,000 people yeah. I mean that's pretty big yeah, so yeah, yeah. in terms of your confidence as a performer and your stagecraft yeah tell me a little bit about how that evolved in, in terms of how you felt i think um it was just a journey kind of trying to work out how much i can get away with saying nothing basically because <laughs> i i've never i've never liked talking to crowds so it, it, i always really enjoyed watching performers who didn't say a word but it was still a great show mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so and um <laughs> just doing more shows and i kind of found signature things that I do that are part of my live show, you know, and um, I move around quite a lot on stage. That's mm. that's something I do. I find I walk around quite a lot, you know, might go up to the bass player and just sort of groove out for a bit. Um, but yeah, it's kind of just all a learning curve. I, I must have been so nervous for that first show. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, I think I must have been. Because one of the things I've noticed about, you, you just talked about going up to the bass player, but I think, because... Uh, Having, I mean, I've watched you a few times, but when I saw you at Love Supreme, there was a lot of warmth in the audience t towards you, and they were reacting to those things. So they were reacting to the, the, yeah. the kind of common musicality between the players. They were reacting yeah, to that, yeah. you know, as, a, exactly. as opposed to exactly. you saying, hey, are you having a good time? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Because I'm not really one to do that too much. But it's, um, but it's still performance, isn't it? That's still stagecraft to a certain extent, even though it feels more natural to you. Oh, it is stagecraft. Yeah. And... and um, found other ways to to get the, the the audience engaged that you know there's kind of moments the way you craft a set and having moments where you where you just take everything out and you're just playing a lick on guitar mm. and it's just a melody and and i think that can be quite powerful just just little moments like that of your contemporaries are there any that really stand out as live performers i'm not talking about their record their their records but in terms of just mm. that real visceral live performance are there any that you look at and go you know you're really good that you feel yeah uh, strongly about i love jordan rakai's live show um i just love i mean I'm, I'm a big fan of his music but the way he sort of builds energy with synths and stuff like that mm -hmm. and and um he's got an amazing band so yeah, I really enjoyed Jordan's show. And that, his music just obviously works so well live.
having followed your career a little bit, it always felt as if you were a bit of an outsider in terms of what's going on in the music industry, even though you became mm. pretty successful very quickly. I think because of yeah. the way you, you came through, and I can't remember you having a BBC Sound of or Brit's no. Critics' Choice, all that stuff, that a lot of contemporary no. artists have done well done. You didn't have any of that, and yet ended up yeah. selling more tickets than the majority of those artists, you know, as a live performer. Yeah. Do you feel like an outsider? Do you feel like you're not... And I don't think you ever signed a major record deal. I mean, you, you put your geography out independently, right? And Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah I have. I think may, maybe because I haven't gone down a traditional um, record deal route mm -hmm. and I haven't, I haven't had the kind of normal infrastructure of... It's basically just been me and my manager and a few other people as well. But it's not been a big team. Um, and I think perhaps because I don't do loads of press... And I don't do much. Um, I basically don't like doing much other than making music. So I think a lot of people don't think of me when they're doing these awards mm. and stuff like that. Mm. It's interesting, and I, but I really don't care either. Like I, I don't. Um, that doesn't bother me. I, I almost like being not part of that, but still being able to do music. You know. Well, that's um, the. <laughs> the impression that I get that it doesn't really bother you to be honest with you that much and that <laughs> bother me. Well, it just feels like you didn't have the because a lot of artists they, they of course they're creative and they want to make great music but they also want to be really successful you know there's a drive in them to be super successful yeah. and be yeah. seen as being very successful and Definitely. obviously there's a drive in you but the drive is maybe slightly different yeah like, there's a real push and pull of me being uh not wanting to weirdly not want to get bigger as an artist mm. but also want to keep making records and part of me wants to get bigger as an artist but then part of me doesn't so i think that it's it, it's interesting that kind of push and pull i have going on all the time mm. because it seems that you didn't want it from the beginning whereas a lot of artists they want to be famous and then they like it for a very short period of time and then of course they grow to hate it afterwards so you've kind of yeah. you've kind of like dispensed with that period, that initial period of not not, not enjoying it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we also ask um, who, if you had to see one band that you've not seen live, who mm. it would be, and your choice was um, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just they're like childhood, ultimate nostalgia for me, um, and I've been getting into them again recently, working on this new record. I've been like listening to them a lot. I love the the energy and the arrangements, and um, it would just be such a good live show. Yeah, I mean, I just, you just I can just imagine that music being amazing live. You came from a pretty creative household, I think, and your dad was a psychiatrist, your mother was an artist, and I think is it true that all the children are in the creative arts? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, I've got two sisters, one of them studied acting um, and the other one is doing music, mm -hmm. um, saxophone, sort of uh, soundscape-y stuff. Mm -hmm. and, um, but we're all, yeah, we're, we're a creative family. Definitely, art, we're all artists. Even my dad, who's, who's the psychiatrist, he's very, very arty as well. So you think, I mean, so was there really no option for you? Was this, it was going to be something in music or art? Or do you think you were never going to be a doctor or anything like that? Probably, I probably could never be a doctor, but like it, 
it was never a choice mm-hmm. to do music actually it just happened but it's funny I, I i'm not the kind of person to have goals or like mm-hmm. to, to like have a big plan it kind of I, I kind of just fell into it but i did love it and i was good at it but i didn't like it, it wasn't like i set set out a goal from the start so when you say because it's I, i'm always interested when people say i fell into it because you end up having yeah. it. it's like a really strange thing to say yeah. to a certain extent for something that ends up it, becoming your career and you end up being successful at it so sorry if i'm going to probe on this but when you say it, you fell into it right so i know that you played yeah. violin when you were younger right so you had some yeah. musical but then how do you fall into creating beats well i'm doing music technology at school yeah. um i'm loving making it's a hobby of mine mm-hmm. i'm doing it after school I'm, I'm uploading stuff to soundcloud but i'm not thinking i'm going to do this for a living necessarily yeah and it's not like five years before that i had dreams of being a musician so i guess in that sense i fell into it but it, it wasn't i mean i did work at it and i i guess i i was aware that um that i wanted to build something i guess right so when you were in your early teens, you weren't envisaging yourself on stage at Brixton Academy. No. That's not what was in your head. Like, because like, many artists, that that is what's in their head. You know, that is yeah, hundred percent. No, it wasn't. It wasn't ever like a dream. <laughs> I, I see. I see. Um. <laughs> oh, for, for, and of course, you studied jazz guitar, right? And dropped out. I did. Yeah, yeah. I studied jazz guitar, um, but this was after uh, sixth form. So this was at this point, I'd already started putting out music. I was. Um, I built a bit of a following and I just thought I want to learn more about jazz guitar really want to you know get better myself as a musician it will help my music so I did that Um, and I did like seven months I think and then it just wasn't really for me yeah just what you just found it just too dry in terms of the academic side of learning guitar as opposed to the vibes that you're talking about I think so yeah I just I was already doing kind of what I wanted I was already making what I wanted to make and I didn't um I found the whole theory stuff quite difficult and that was a big part of it and I wasn't really finding I was um you know I was living at home I wasn't having that that uni experience that might have made me want to stay anyway it's interesting because you know obviously I have to that's part of what I do I'm constantly going to shows and listening to music and sometimes people who are formerly brilliant guitar players and they are brilliant guitar players they yeah. often don't end up having their own bands or their own, not all the time, but because almost they're too good yeah. and they're playing for other people and therefore the, the kind of more oh, singular vision of what you want in your head has been slightly, I, I mean, I, I might be wrong about this, but has been slightly extinguished <laughs> by getting so good at guitar. Do, do you see what I mean? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, well, so they don't, so they don't sort of... Um don't want to have to compromise their their vision exactly sort of thing, exactly so. exactly yeah. and it's interesting like some some of the best 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 players i know mm. are, it's very i mean there's of course there's exceptions you know there's there's going to be a keith jarrett or a, a pat Matheny or those guys but generally yeah, speaking yeah, yeah. yeah I, I find that the people who have real sort of identity tend to mm. be good players, but they have a, yeah. a a number of other different facets to their armory that allows them yeah, to become, yeah, yeah. to become, that's to, get, to get to gain I, an audience. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I guess that's because they're, maybe those people uh, are thinking about music as a bigger picture than, than maybe just 
the instrument itself sort of thing yeah. I, i'm always trying to think how can guitar aid the song or, mm. or what what what's my role in in a song as opposed to um wanting to shred and stuff i guess yeah yeah so when you were growing up in your teens were there any live gigs that really were pivotal mm. moments for you in terms of uh of your eventual musical career yeah i think um well as a kid going to my parents would take me to a lot of opera operas and um classical music mm -hmm. and i i always hated it um because they were so long they would be like four hour shows and stuff like that but i think interestingly now that's that's coming up um a bit in in what i'm interested in mm -hmm. and and the, like i love the sound of orchestras and and um so i think that's had a big impact on me now but it, it, it hasn't really previously it's only now that i'm kind of appreciating it and it all feels so familiar because i spent all those years um when i was younger going to these shows so it's eventually fil um, filtering through yeah yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, and playing the violin as well, I, I kind of want to start doing that, and that feeds into that. Um, and seeing Robert Glasper play at Ronnie Scott's, it was the Robert Glasper Trio. I think that was one of the first like sort of jazz shows I went to, mm -hmm. and, and that was I just loved that. Yeah, I really, really loved that. I was obsessed with Jay Diller at the time, and then he was feeding into that, but doing his own thing, and I just. It was Chris Dave on drums and Derek Hodge, um, and that was just magical. When I listened to your music, and actually I spent a bit of time uh, listening to, I, I got a playlist put together of everything you've kind of done. And obviously you're mm. drawing on jazz, R&B, soul, electronic music, pop music, disco. And in, yeah. it runs through me. It's pretty much bossa nova, as far as I can hear. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, yeah. and I know that you've talked about Glasper and Jay Dilla being um, an influence. But what's interesting is that you've kind of, you've done something which a lot of artists strive for and that fail to do is that what comes out at the end sounds fairly unique or distinctive and by that i mean it sounds like you that's not mm -hmm. true of a lot of a lot of artists can you do you agree with that i'm glad to hear that yeah like i don't it's weird I, I can't sometimes i can't tell that myself yeah but someone else outside could could say that um but i think i think i know i definitely have a sense of what i like whenever i'm making music whether it's like a melody or a chord progression mm. is i always have quite a clear idea of what i'm going for so i think that's probably part of it like knowing what I want musically means that whatever I make is comes from me, you know, because I, I guess you have a lot of artists who might be phenomenal singers and performers, but they don't necessarily know how what, what kind of record they want to make next or like um, or they or they need other people to make the record, which is absolutely fine. Mm. But it's just because um, I'm quite self-sufficient in that sense, I think. Maybe that's part of the reason that it sounds so much like me every time. Well, I was going to come on to that. Do you think that's because, I mean, obviously there's two things here. There's a sort of psychological element where you've just got a very strong vision of what you want and therefore no matter what influences um, are, are, are being absorbed by you, what's yeah. coming out is yours. But there's also the fact yeah. that you came out as more 
producer, musician. So therefore, you're kind of controlling the sound to a certain extent. Do you think that's true? Yeah, controlling the sonic, I think, yeah. as well. Like, like you say, being a producer, you can. I could take, try and take something like Bossa Nova, and and put that in my sonic world, mm. um, and then it sounds more like me. I guess it's like Kay Trinada, for example, has such a signature um, sonic sound as a producer. And whatever he does, it will sound like him. Yeah. From the way he mixes his stuff. Yeah, but that's an interesting point because on something like uh, it runs through me, you know, if you if you don't know anything about Bossa Nova, you're just a kid listening, you're not going to think about that. You're just hearing Tom Mish, right? And it sounds like Tom Mish. Yeah. If you're me, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, that's that's Bossa Nova, but it still sounds right, like right. you. So I think this, I yeah. think it's it's interesting. So going from geography, you made um, the album last year with Yusuf, which was a yeah. lot heavier. I think musically felt a lot heavier mm. and it really felt like you know l listening to the record I got sense quite early that you guys were really stretching yourselves and really and also yeah. really enjoying it what was that yeah. process obviously you've known Yusuf for a long time I, I think uh, so I actually met him in 2018 I think but we uh, but we sort of known each other we live we grew up in the same area um, so yeah I've, I've known of him mm -hmm. and been a fan for a while um, but that was that was just so exciting working on that record. It felt like a, it felt like the right thing to do after Geography, I think. And like um, when we got in the studio, it was just an instant. It was just fun. Um, I love drums, and Yusuf is insane at drums, and and it was just like a big experiment. Really, I spent a lot of time um, just jamming, clicking records. But it, it was the best of both worlds because it was exploring stuff production-wise, but also exploring stuff musically and and I got better at guitar as well as you know from from that process why do you think that was that you got better at guitar because you were pretty good beforehand <laughs> um <laughs> funny I funny enough I don't play much guitar I only really play when I'm working on something or when I'm on tour right and and when I was working on that record I was playing every day and we were just jamming and Yusuf is of Yusuf's just like so virtuosic you have to step up your game right so you think, like, he, I think my he, raised, he raised your game did he do you think he raised my game <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah 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 100 percent. right like you have to you have to play in time when you're playing with Yusuf because yeah. he's got such a amazing feel and groove so it's like i think that was interesting you collaborate with many many people so the jump from that to actually making a full album with somebody is a, a co-collaboration what was it about yeah Yusuf, that you made that decision because you could have made an album with so many different artists. I mean, I, I, can't, I won't yeah. list everybody that you've worked with. What was it about him and that relationship that made you decide? Because it's quite a big decision, I think, to make a full album and it release is. it on a, on a collaboration. I don't think we ever intended to make an album from the get-go. I think we, we linked up. I remember we had a day, a few days recording in the studio in Eastbourne called Echo Zoo. And we were... Tom Driesler came down and we were like recording everything to tape um, in this old studio and all this analog gear. And that was like quite exciting for me because I'd come from making stuff on my laptop and never thinking about all this sort of like historic gear and stuff. And I guess like that, that was quite exciting. And um, and that's where it all started. And in terms of your next record, what what's are you making that mm. at the moment? Are yeah. they being recorded? Yeah, yeah. And that will that just be a Tom Mish yeah. solo record? Exactly. Yeah, Tom Mish solo record. Um and I'm just just trying to work it out at the moment really. 
And what are you? Can I ask what you're yeah. listening to at the moment? What, what are there, yeah. are there various influences coming through the music? Yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right. I'm going back into that. Yeah. Um, I I always have to look at my Spotify playlist because I can never actually think of the tunes. <laughs> right. Okay. But I've got a playlist where I add everything that I love. Um, right now, I've I've been listening to Shaggy Otis. Right. Of course. Uh, so, um, yeah. Strawberry, what's the track? Strawberry, there's a great track. Strawberry something, S- strawberry letter. Strawberry or something. letter, or yeah. Something? Strawberry yeah, letter, yeah. 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 I love, I love like sonically those old records yeah. from the 70s, like the way it's all recorded and stuff, and and um, the grit and you know, going to tape and stuff like that. That's, yeah. I think that's a big thing for this record I'm trying to do is like make it sound like a proper 70s, 80s record sonically. Um, so I'm listening to all that stuff. We had Candy Staten on the podcast who'd recorded in Mus- Muscle Shoals, all those really great Southern Soul recordings. It's exactly what you're talking about, that there's a kind of like soul, a grittiness, a kind of air- earthiness to the music mm. because the players are so fantastic, you know, and, yeah, and the yeah, players exactly. are really connected and, you know, th- it does sound different. It does. Are you trying to create that with your with the musicians that you play with on a, I guess some more regularly than others, but are, are you trying to create a kind of team of people that you know you can click in with, or are you changing the musicians um, every, every album or every EP that you do? Um, I th- it seems to be changing, yeah. I'm yeah. constantly experimenting, and and this album I've found, I've really enjoyed like playing live with people, getting in the studio, click and record, and like have, trying to capture that feel mm. that you'll hear in those records. Um, but also it's like songwriting, trying to trying to like write better songs as well. And um, the other day I I started writing a song from scratch, without any production or pre melodies and stuff like that. And I've never really done that before. But I think it it's an interesting way of of writing because you prioritise the song, yeah, instead of the production. You know. Well, that's that's interesting because of course you come from the school of the Sonics first yeah the Sonics first whereas for a lot of people and I guess that music is a little bit more it's not in fashion at the moment but that kind of I was listening to an interview with um, Fran Healy from Travis you know where he just sort of sits down starts strumming some chords on the guitar writes the lyrics and and that type of I mean obviously there's lots of people still doing that from Laura Marling many many others Yeah, but you don't come from that at all so do you did you see yourself coming more as a producer and musician rather than a sort of classical songwriter oh definitely yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i'm very much always been about the sonics and the music and the melodies I've, I'd, I've never been thought of myself as a great songwriter um but i'm trying to do that for this record you know write better songs because i think if you if you get both then that's yeah that would be even better so when you say <laughs> become more of a songwriter are you talking about lyrics or top line melodies or are you talking about or both I guess both but um I guess I do mean the whole like you know everything to be fair but I I specifically mean lyrics um and you know, yeah just that 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 traditional way of writing a song you know trying to talk about things going on in my life yeah. and cuz I've prioritized production and sonics previously I think you know like more of a vibe yeah, I mean, that's um, why you. I guess you know. your music's distinctive, right? Because of the vibe. You know, there's a vibe, and because of the vibe, and also because yeah, of your vocal, exactly. because of your vocal. Because I think they're the two things. The vocal, distinctive vocals, are very rare in music. Uh, yeah. And so having yeah, the, yeah, yeah, which yeah. you have, so that makes a big yeah. makes a big big difference. So Tom, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was great. Thank you. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. That's it for this week. But before we go, let's hear from some of Tom's fans about the performances that have inspired them. 
I'm Barney Artist. Um, I'm a rapper from East London. I've known Tom for a very long time. Um, I've had the pleasure of kind of being there from the beginning. I think Tom's live show for me is like, I always go to the crowd, like whether I'm on stage with him or I'm not, I always make sure that I go to the crowd like immediately because I think the energy that he kind of provides to like his audience and the way that they feel is something that can't be matched. He has that real, not a lot of artists have that to be able to like, cross age ranges so when you go to a Tom Miss show there's not like a specific age or a specific type of person it's all ages you know it's just testament to his abilities of playing I think my probably my favourite Tom show it's probably Love Supreme is definitely up there I think that was like an epic day I think his Brixton shows were amazing shows in Amsterdam shows in Belgium like I've been around didn't it like I'm just like that, that annoying friend that kind of like sticks around and just stays you know like just around like where are we going next where are we going next time guys um uh, but yeah no it's it's I'm, I'm extremely proud of him and i think you know even though he's my one of my best friends i'm a massive fan so i'm so happy to be able to watch him grow that brings us to the end of this episode before you go please leave us a rating and review as that helps other people discover the show and follow or subscribe so you get the next episode when it lands in the meantime check out lovesupremefestival.com Tickets are on sale now and follow us at Love Supreme Fest for news and updates from our community. 